You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. A uh, quick reminder out there, the ACS scholarships are now open for application, so uh, please visit cheesesocietyorg slash scholarship if you're interested in applying for a scholarship to this year's conference in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, and now, on to today's episode, we have Alex Armstrong, sensory evaluator and educator at Jasper Hill Farm in Greensboro, Vermont. He's a CCP, CCSC, He's a raw milk alchemist, philosopher of cheese, minder of rinds, curd splitter, and shepherd of funk. He is on the program today to help us understand what it means to be a sensory evaluator and how it can be useful towards cheese making and marketing. Alex, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Kara. It's a really big pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. I, um, I really dug into your Instagram, and when I saw those titles, I had to add them to the intro because they were so cool. Oh, I love it. I am uh, admittedly um, into Lord of the Rings um, a little bit. Uh, I'm not anywhere near like sort of a crazy aficionado knowing all the names and places, but um, something that always stuck with me was sort of like the Hobbit, the sort of barrel writer is his sort of... Uh, like epithet that he gives himself um, that I always thought was funny as being like, that's, that's, you're going for to intimidate a bunch of people as your barrel writer. Um, but it felt, it felt like to me, it, was, it made a lot of sense uh, in the cheese world too. It's sort of a nice little homage to the, to the small things that we do every day that kind of make the big difference. Totally. I'm not at all surprised that that's where you're going already in, in the episode here. I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So um, I'm really glad to chat with you here today because I actually don't know a whole lot about sensory evaluation. Like I know oh, cool. I've done tastings before, but like um, I think there's another level to it. So I'd love for you to kind of briefly explain what does it mean to be a, a sensory evaluator for cheese? Absolutely. Um, so I think as a general background, um, there is something called descriptive sensory analysis, and that's sort of the foundation for a lot of sensory work in terms of food. Um, and that really re revolves around a sort of an objective understanding and criteria about grading any sort of food product um, and how you can do that in a sort of analytical way as well. So you want to take your sort of parameters, so say texture, appearance, flavor, smell, um, those kind of like basics. And then you set up a program of grades or i would i would even say data points um that you are then evaluating a particular product so for cheese in, in particular there's not as much outside of the traditional um academia which would be sort of i would i'd like to call it more of like a wisconsin model they have a lot of history in cheese education dairy science and research and a lot of the grading sheets and way that we sort of talk about evaluating cheese kind of comes from that that work, at least in the U.S. Um, and what we're doing, at least at Jasper Hill Farm, is a little bit different. Uh, it takes a little bit more of the cheese in its individuality and our collection as a whole. And we use it to really determine a lot of 
different areas of our business uh, that sensory evaluation can kind of help inform, help make some decisions, and also end up making better cheese. And so for us, sensory evaluation is not just a quality control. It's sort of a way to interact with sales, with affinage, with marketing, with even just production on a baseline level. Uh, and so for me, I, I feel like I have the luckiest job of kind of taking all of those pieces together and getting to evaluate them, but not in a way that's sort of up to me. It's not necessarily what I like. It's what we're all trying to work on together to achieve the same goal. So I, I feel really proud to get to run this program of trying to make better cheese. And that's not always an easy task, but it's usually, at least in my case, a delicious task. <laughs> and so the, I feel pretty lucky to get to taste literally every single batch of cheese that kind of comes through our, our, our doors into the cellars and gets aged and give some evaluation, but also give some ideas and advice and maybe even some direction on how we can be, improve, but also what's going right. Uh, that's another thing that a lot of a lot of evaluation processes don't really take into account is like if you're doing a good job, that's okay. You're not you don't always have to look for the bad thing or the thing that's wrong with your cheese um, or any product. Really, it's also about evaluating what's working for you and what you need to ret retain. Um, so, so really, I think uh, for me, it, it works well with my like philosophical background. I was a philosophy major in school. Is it's that's where sort of sensory analysis to me lies. Is why are we doing the work we do and how do we know what we're doing matters and makes sense and has import. And so that's sort of the approach I take with sensory analysis is kind of taking a holistic, but then also individualized view of what we're doing, the work we're doing every day. Oh my goodness. That You have come a long way, my friend. I That's a very cool explanation of it because um, I think a lot of it can seem like you touched on it briefly. Um, some of it can seem subjective. So um, I'm guessing, well, I should ask you, is it like through like numbers and like charts that you're able to like say this is this way and this is doing well? Or is it like, how do you write it up even? Is it like in text or is it by numbers? Yeah. So uh, in general, without getting too into the details, there's a combination of numbers, sort of uh, score gradings. There's You can do like one through 10 scales, uh, one through seven scales, one through five scales. Um, and it really kind of fits with what your data set, uh, is supposed to be. So if you have, for example, a one through 10 scale, that's 10 data points. And if you say, let's do half points as well, you're getting 20 data points. And so that really informs your scale. But if you're not using the top half and the bottom half of your scale, you really have like a five point scale, for example, like never, we never give a cheese like a one mm -hmm. or and it's really hard to give a cheese a 10 because we're sticklers. <laughs> so it kind of it, that's sort of how we sort of shape our mindset of like what kind of grading system works for us. But it's also more, inter, uh, more important to develop a lexicon so that you're actually talking the same language to each other. So for me, my citrus or lemon or lime or something like that is going to be maybe a little bit different of how I talk about it than someone else based on their experience, based on what flavors come out. Maybe they taste more vinegar and I'm tasting citric sort of like uh, capabilities or something. And what you're really trying to do is describe the singular uh, thing. So very similar to almost like uh, art appraisal or even evaluation 
um, but you're also trying to speak the same language so that you are on the same page. And so for us, we've developed specific lexicons for specific types of cheese. Um, and that allows us to identify characteristics more readily and also translate that information throughout the, all sectors of, you know, sales, affinage, uh, quality, all those things. And so it's a combination of note taking. I take notes pretty of getting like a vivid in situ picture, but then there's also number grades. And then what we do with those number grades, which is sort of informing, you know, sales avenues or quality controls or food safety, things like that. And so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more diversified than just sort of being like, this cheese is good. It's a 10. This cheese is good. It's a 10, which <laughs> right. you can do. And that's fine if you're making something that doesn't have a lot of changes or variation or seasonality. Uh, but, but what for what we do, we kind of, it, it's debatable whether or not we go too deep down the rabbit hole and evaluate every single cheese, but the it's very intricate what we do. And so for us, we feel that we learn a lot from evaluating every cheese on an individual basis. And some days that can be between like 50 batches of cheese across like all of our soft cheeses or only like 10 hard cheeses. So mm. some days are a little bit more hefty than others. And it's definitely uh, something you have to practice too. First time graders come in and they see maybe like 20 Harbisons on the table and they're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> how am I like, I'm so excited, but I also don't know how I'm going to eat all of these. And that's kind of the point is like, we're not sitting there just buffet style challenge and being like, oh yeah, we're doing the good stuff. It's really uh, evaluating the appearance and the textures and the aromas and the flavors and trying to create a, a composite story that then helps us talk about our cheese with the production team or maybe with uh, the, the sales team or where, you know, if a specific batch needs to go somewhere. Um, and so it's kind of interesting. It's, it's not, I wouldn't even call it reverse engineering. It's just you're engineering your cheeses as you go using your evaluated te evaluation techniques. And so it's, it's, it can be complex. Um, but as long as you have a routine and a schedule, I write a schedule every day or every week, I mean, of all the different, you know, tastings we'll have and people involved, you start to develop a cadence and a sensory history, which we sometimes forget. But uh, I, I definitely have certain years where certain cheeses were just top of the top. We did nothing wrong. Everything is perfect. And I have yeah. certain cheeses that are also like, we, what is happening that is missing our mark? And I'm, I feel pretty privileged to have the opportunity that all of our cheeses, even the ones that are below our standard are still delicious cheeses. They're just sort of, they're sort of the other side of the conversation of what are we trying to make and not like, what can we just make? Cause if you can make a very classic or simple cheese and it can be delicious. And there's also the power and the value of an even more delicious cheese. Um, and that's sort of what kind of works for our whole community here is what we're trying to do is have, have that greater value, um, translated. And the only way to really understand that value is tasting it at the, at the end of the day. Well, and it's amazing that you can do this job so well, it sounds like, and you have a diversity of styles of cheese. I mean, uh, how do you, how are you able to focus so well on, on your senses for, I mean, You've been with Jasper now four years, so I'm, I'm assuming that's what helps. But um, do you find it challenging to be able to grade so many different styles of cheese? Absolutely. Um, I actually started 
at Jasper Hill as part of the sales team. I was uh, you know, a local account manager and doing kind of all the odds and ends to mail order and customer service. And it was a really eye-opening experience to sort of see the other side of sales as like a cheesemonger. You're the front lines, but you really don't get to appreciate the full chain of sort of how that cheese gets to your counter until you're the person on the other side trying to get a monger to take as much cheese as possible. And so it, that part for me was really part of my beginning of the journey of learning, like, you know, how to talk about our products. And then through the course of, you know, everyone's favorite uh, pandemic genre, we a lot of <laughs> things changed at the sellers. And I got the opportunity to work more with the sensory team and production team and kind of deep dive into more of the cheese production quality and affinage. And so I think that also helped me a lot of understanding the cheeses that we're trying to make and what it takes to get there and helped inform honestly the ability to really get into sensory analysis it's using all of the information i have as a monger so i have this ability to sort of evaluate our cheeses against a, a wide marketplace of different styles um, but i also know what worked what works with for us and what's possible in the sellers or in affinage production and so that's that's allowed me to kind of approach our sensory program, both holistically in terms of our business and also in, like individually on a, on a cheese by cheese level. But a lot of it is practice. A lot of it is the more you can, more you taste, the more you can taste, in my opinion, the more you're able to assess and talk about it on a different level. And there was an amazing article that came out. I, I reference this all the time. I'm sure people who know me have, have heard this a bajillion times, but there's an article uh, from NPR that came out probably five or six years ago that was basically about evaluating red wine. And they hooked up a couple folks to an EEG and mapped their brain activity and how it sort of interacts when they're trying to taste and describe a wine to somebody. And it's not surprising to me, at least, that it revolves around a lot of these critical capacities that you would do with abstract algebra or uh, high-level uh, math problems or sort of this abstract thinking capability. And so it's it's kind of an interesting way to approach sensory analysis when you're thinking about how do you describe a strawberry to someone who's never had a strawberry before, let alone fruit. And so there's that sort of this like development of lexicons and practice and creating dialogue where you have a history of tastes, but my history of tastes are different than yours. And that doesn't make my palate better or worse. I would encourage everyone to like exercise their palate and talk about it. That's the other feedback loop. If you're eating something in a vacuum and you don't really think about it, you don't think about it and you just uh, will treat like a any cheeseburger is the same. And then you go, you know, say to like your favorite little gastropub in the mountains with, you know, Wagyu beef, if you're privileged in Vermont for the such an occasion, and you have a life changing moment because you're really like thinking about it in this sense of like, I know burgers, I love burgers, but somehow this one's better. And you start thinking why and you start describing it. And I always find like, what's interesting about good food or good tastes or good things that are are enjoyable or also developing this sort of critical wheel turning in your brain 
I really enjoyed like how you were talking about that and the way that it's all sensory connected and you know, it's, you're breaking it down into a way that everyone can understand, but also it's very technical. And I think that's very, very cool. Um, I wanted to kind of float into like what might be some of the new projects at Jasper Hill that you're excited about. Are, are there new projects at Jasper Hill that you're yeah. interested in right now? Um, one of one of the newer aspects of my job has become managing our sort of R and D program, uh, which is, I think, pretty interesting in terms of how we view like research and development. For me, research is new products or sort of developing our our like uh, new ideas and development kind of revolves around continuing the improvement of what we currently do already. And so for us, we have, we do have some new projects, uh, that I can't get too specific on. Um, there's definitely some new stuff on the horizon. Um, but we're really trying to focus on some of our core lineup and really make, make some, uh, make some strides to continue off of what we, what the feedback that we got from ACS last year. Um, so for us, we, we, you know, we did very well with Whitney, um, and receiving best of show, which I was, you know, in the middle of traveling across the country during the award ceremony and, you know, freaking out on the plane in front of a bunch of folks and (laughs) they had no idea what was going on. And we, you sort of fast forward and, as amazing as that award is, that doesn't mean that like, we don't have to think about our cheese anymore. We're, we're good. It's the, you know, if you think about it in a competitive sense, the competition is hungrier to, you know, showcase what they have. And we have to also maintain our, you know, our standards and our, our constant improvement of what we're doing. And so for me, that like I, I, I think we're doing a lot of work to really hone in uh, cheeses like Whitney. Um, I'm very excited about Alpha Tolman this year. Um, I think, out of all possible delicious, delicious cheeses in the world, Alpha Tolman is top five in my uh, sort of cheese case, if you will, um, in in the soul. And I think really, it's it's come a long way. Uh, when I first had Alpha Tolman, it was on the counter. Um, where it was sort of seen as this kind of fun Alpine project and mm-hmm. tasting yep. it throughout the years. I've, I've definitely had iterations like every year I got a wheel at least, and you could kind of see this development of, you know, a, a, I would say it's, it went through a very long teenager phase of not <laughs> quite knowing what's going on and what, where, where they want to go. And so for me, I think we finally, We've finally gone gone to college and we're now in graduate school with Alpha Tolman. We're honing in this this idea of a raw milk cheese from a single herd to and a style that honestly in the US is has been taken for granted and commodified in many ways. And uh, it's, you know, even using the term Alpine can be sometimes problematic because, you know, for for what I know personally, there's no Alps in the US. <laughs> but it does really, I think it does start the conversation of what does it mean to be an Alpine cheese? And it really does trace back to a foundation of traditions that, you know, that did travel across the pond to us as well. And so are we, are we the ones going to be trailblazing Alpine cheeses? No, there's a cheese that has a, you know, it's name in its name, 1655 referring to a year. 
mm-hmm. we weren't even around hanging out on the continental U.S. So uh, at least, you know, the European settlers and whatnot. And so um, in general, I would say we we have a lot of work to do in sort of understanding our own. But I think we also need as like an industry to push back on things like Gruyere being used as a, you know, commodity name. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I think that ruined a lot of lot of hard work that, you know, Cheddar had done as a style and now it sort of works against the specificity and the homage to the actual techniques no one really knows what cheddaring is outside of the fact it's a sharp cheese that you know comes in a brick and Mm -hmm. you know we're working to do that and it's changed you know even in my time as in cheese and also you know i have to give a lot of thanks to the people who trailblaze you know the industry in the u.s for quite some time um and I feel like to sort of wrap it all in is that that culmination of like hard work and development is sort of, to me, proved through Alpha Tolman that we can make a cheese that's raw milk, absolutely delicious and true to the style that we are able to then come together as a bit, a, bit, a larger community and work together. And so like we didn't make Alpha Tolman in a vacuum being like, we read a really nice book and there it is. It's a lot of work, but also a lot of community and a lot of community effort to, to understand that better cheese is better for all of us. And it helps us understand and capture the value of all that, like really intense work. That's something I would like, I would love to stress as being someone who's make the t- taking the plunge off the sort of like monger platform is it. I never knew how hard I could work and that I would be capable of working this hard. And it's hard still. It's not like I'm all of a sudden having, you know, mimosas every Sunday. It's, it's, I'm still answering emails, even when I'm crying that I don't want to answer emails because, you know, the work is important and people are counting on you. And that's sort of the, I think like culmination of that, like hard, hard work gets showcased in a pro in like a cheese that can have that expressive quality. So like recently, just to give an idea a batch of Alpha Tolman that I tasted last week that was about eight months old. Um, my preference, uh, currently we're trying to figure out how long we can age it, but it tasted to me the closest we've gotten to a balanced, uh, a balanced profile where you maybe would forget what kind of cheese you're eating in terms of, uh, Alpine style. So for me, that means like, you're not really thinking, is this an American cheese or American artisan cheese or a European import or some kind of cheese? You're thinking about this as a cooked curd, raw milk, aged washed rind that is its own unique expression of cheese. And that's when you sit there and you eat it and it takes it takes you a second to return back to your everyday working. So that could be a split second. It can be a minute. It could be 10 minutes. Could be me walking around the cellars, just like grunting and going, "Mm, this is insane. This is insane, guys. You got to try this batch. That's the, to me, like a hallmark of a successful cheese is you're never going to tell your friend unless you're trying to be, you know, a bully in some ways to Mm -hmm. eat something gross. Like that to me is like the ultimate bully tactic being like, hold on, eat this. And <laughs> you could do now to people <laughs> you, could, you could easily do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's some longer games where you say like, Hey, try this cheese. And you know, it's super acidified <laughs> and butyric and just tastes like a baby, baby puked <sighs> in your mouth. 
but you can also, but what you really want to do when you're sharing a cheese is you want to have, you want someone to have that same experience you did, which was, I just stopped time and place for just a moment. And I am savoring what my brain is trying to dissect through my olfactory senses. And for me, a true cheese that like has power gives you a memory that you've already had. You've already had this memory. So one of my favorites recently, we were just eating a, a we got gifted an extra aged uh, chunk of sprints, uh, which is one of my uh, favorite, like hard to find cheeses. And it reminded me, even though this is a crazy old history cheese that, you know, like it has a lot of import and technique, it gave me this moment of, I received my pin from a book it program in elementary school where you had to read books. And if you read like eight books, you got a pizza, a personal pan pizza. And for me, this was like the entire experience, remembering that I did this program and I read books to get pizza and I got my pizza and that pineapple and ham pizza, that smell, the flavor, the taste, all of it is, but it it's even more, it's the atmosphere inside a restaurant, outside, it's winter out, you know, all this. And then just understanding the, like the baseline flavors that like, I would never have thought about that moment in a pizza hut as a, you know, seven-year-old being like, cool, I read a bunch of books and whatever. It's like that memory right there was triggered by a single piece of cheese. And I'm also enjoying the cheese itself as a delicious, like fruity, bright, nutty, slightly caramelized marine, sort of a little mineral, like it has all of it going on there and you can get technical Mm-hmm. But when you eat it and it reminds you of a time or a place that you've been that you would never, you'd never be again, that is a very powerful moment. It's it's like allowing the play of your entire life's experiences like come to the fore and it's triggered by this instance of eating something delicious, which I don't really have that great connection with like a lot of other foods, but for cheese, that's that's a constant for me. And that's probably what keeps me coming back for more is every day I'm doing a grading is potentially the day I have the best cheese I've ever tasted. It's not going to be the case all the time for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. But there are some days where I'm, I'm popping in the cellars and I'm taking a plug being like, you're about, we're all about to have a moment today. And this is going to mm-hmm. be very, very delightful. And let's figure out how we can do this again, because that's crazy. Like, how do you do that among all the variables create something so perfect? It's, it's oh. blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, Jasper Hill is very lucky to have you. The passion that you have for this program is amazing, um, first off. I oh, uh, No, I mean, really. I mean, the fact that you tied uh, a memory of your childhood to sprints and are using that as the barometer to to, <laughs> to know your cheeses at Jasper Hill is incredible. Um, I guess um, I wanted to ask you what your dream cheese would be, but I feel like Alpha Tolman, you know, is that in a way, I mean, if, if you were to design any cheese recipe, it sounds like now your, your brain is focused on Alpha Tolman, uh, which is, is really, really cool. Um, I, I have another question about Jasper Hill, which yeah. is I was reading in the literature online that um, there's an innovative natural culture program. Is that something you're also a part of? Yeah. Um, so part of what we do in terms of our like lab and testing, we have a really amazing microbiology lab and 
Um, we have also some really amazing lab techs that are working. So like Julia, Elizabeth, um, Hannah as well. They're all working to do different types of studies. Becky, our food safety manager is like kind of also revolving around that station. And what that lab is able to accomplish is pretty unique and pretty amazing. Um, it's kind of a double down commitment on sort of education on a very, very molecular sense, but also like it really allows us to do things that are are kind of hard to do on a small scale and also a large scale. And so um, one of the things we actually worked on is, um, and part of like the sort of R&D process is like native cultures. So uh, there's, you know, everyone can culture their cheese using what's typically like, you know, a, a proprietary culture blend, usually these companies that can dose out and sort of uh, provide the type of effect that they that you are looking for with a culture blend it's very 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 specific um that exists but it also makes it's also available to everybody and so to get something that's truly like taste of place and terroir driven is understanding the natural microbes and constituents within your working environment and so for us we did a project with say like bailey Hayes and blue for example where we're um, cultivating our own blue mold and utilizing um, specific cultures like geotrichum that is uh, innate to the farm to kind of really develop this unique flavor um, i think we did not necessarily like, succeed in that project but we did learn a lot about how we can develop this blue cheese and also instigate some change within our our methods of making this cheese and so uh for us it was a very valuable experience and it's something that we can definitely like dive into again and um now that we have learned you know what may or may not work um but i think really the key is um sort of some of the work that we're doing with with alpha tolman just to even like and and whitney is um really like cultivating our own rennet and um starter cultures from that sort of uh creation of the rennet uh for uh, using you know lamp a calf stomach and um the way from a previous make and things like that that's that's something that's really unique um, we had an op opportunity to sort of taste side by side a batch of whitney that had some of the you know the uh some of the proprietary cultures and some of just like no cultures just straight rennet salt and um what we do on a normal basis and there was a difference. And even at 60 days, there's a difference. And that cheese, you know, it can be three to four months before like robust complex flavor can happen. Even at that 60 day point, you're tasting it and you can taste one that is kind of tastes like something you've had before. And one that is someone that you've never met before. And it's kind of amazing to see like on a very uh, small level, certain changes like that, that can have a long-term cascading effect in your cheese like longevity flavor development um i like to call it the sort of like the potential for flavor um sort of that idea that everything that you have is in there it's really how you can unlock all those flavors through enzymatic breakdown and affinage and rind development and acidification and um, fat and texture and so a lot of that is all wrapped into sort of the the starting building blocks and foundation within just the milk within your farms like for us we really we're really doing a lot of work even on like if you're thinking about like cultures and trying to make blends we're actually also going into the pasture lands and 
um, our cropping team is doing an incredible job mapping on certain kinds of forage that are good for soil regeneration, um, but also that are going to provide a long-term holistic fertility for our grasslands and fields so that we can do less tilling and not have to use, uh, you know, any sort of field implements that we don't need to use or don't want to use, or that's just current the status quo. Um, so I think it, it's kind of interesting. We, yeah, we can talk somewhat about like just, you know, doing cultures and things in the lab, but also it's, it's, you're almost, you're, you're farming the microbes out in the field to actually have everything downstream have import. And so that's kind of a, it's, it's an interesting way to sort of think about it sometimes I think of, you know, the ingredients of your cheese doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a lot of stuff. It needs to be stuff that's indicative of your, of what you're doing for it to have like a unique flavor and taste. And I think a lot of, a lot of small producers in the U S are doing a great job of that. And also it's really hard to compete with extremely large folks that, you know, where if you can't have the access or opportunity to, you know, develop those unique consistencies, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's the starting point for where, how do we bring everyone to the table as well? Um, to have unique cheese. Cause I think honestly, if we're all making the same stuff, like really who cares? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in the details. Like you said, I'm, uh, I love that you guys are checking the science on this. That's really, really cool. Um, I just want to take a quick break with our listeners here, guys. Hey, you're listening to cutting the curd. I'm here with Alex Armstrong and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Kind of Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I'm here with Alex Armstrong of Jasper Hill Farm. We are talking about sensory on a whole new level. I didn't even realize there was all these things we could think about. I feel like I've gone through the philosophy of it with him. Um, I actually, I, I'm really, this is very cool how much passion you have about this, Alex. I'm, I'm really, this is awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you next about how why you think Jasper Hill is able to utilize the science and the technical aspect of cheeses so well in their message to mongers and retailers. Yeah. So we, we, we always like to joke over at Jasper Hill that we're all part of like the sales team. Um, and so that's part of our messaging, uh, sort of like, you know, you have to be proud of the work you're doing. And also we all are involved in sort of promoting, uh, sort of the products, but it's also, it is authentic. What we're like, what we are the message that we're communicating about the work we do in terms of cultures or terroir driven activities, or really just developing a raw milk farm, um, up here in the Northeast kingdom 
is because we are doing it every day and it's really integrated into sort of our identity. And so the science for us is, is sort of part of that cheese making journey and sort of understanding the microbiology, but also diving down on a deeper level, level of really understanding the, the pieces that make our situation unique and how we can work better with them. So for us, not everyone can do what we're doing. Um, and that's not necessarily the point, but it's that because we focus and are clear on our messaging around, you know, the work we're trying to do for, so for example, you know, trying to make our own cultures or use, you know, um, all natural, you know, raw milk is it's, it's because that's what we're actively trying to do. And it's still part of our process. So like we have not nailed it a hundred percent, but knowing where we were even just four years ago when I got here, it's kind of incredible, uh, especially just given how, you know, the last couple of years have been and the ability to stay resilient and really just be grateful for like a lot of hardworking people uh, in our organization that show up every day. And there's, you know, there's people who really, really care in our in our company and that that kind of energy and passion sort of it, it rubs off on you pretty good. Um mm -hmm. And so I still even, I have to tell myself to take, you know, take time on my days off to not look at email or not worry about some R&D project or just trust the fact, you know, everyone else is also trying to get behind that message. And um, it doesn't always happen. You know, today I'm emailing back and forth about random stuff because, I mean, once you get hooked, you're sort of hooked. And the more you learn about cheese, the more you can learn about cheese and it, that sort of excitement and passion may really makes it easy to kind of like double down on that that message of just like you know yeah we're gonna get a lab it's not gonna be perfect day one but where the lab has come from you know in the first instances it's we've been able to learn so much and we're collaborating with um some you know different uh professionals we've done some work with you know ben wolf um and tufts uh crew you know this year doing some sensory analysis stuff and that kind of opportunity is kind of crazy um and it all revolves around community and having that same same idea so you know the more you can find out it kind of keeps leading you down and looking for more inquiry and how to make things better and kind of learning amazing stuff. Uh, there's, there's a lot of the microbiology that I think gets glossed over when it comes to cheese. And there's a lot of wisdom in the microbiology that, uh, can be very humbling in terms mm. of what you're doing on a daily basis. Like the way that Ryan's form, um, is incredible. It's kind of taken for granted and there is an intricate interplay and sort of, uh, almost like an overture and performance that happens that, if each part is not perfect or even in the realm of, of, of good, you can have drastic problems. Like, uh, like the, the biggest thing is, you know, stuff with a uh, geotrichum as a yeast, uh, a mold like yeast, yeast like mold kind of constituent one direction and your rinds are fluffy and maybe super rigid and kind of generic and another direction. It's extremely wrinkly and your rinds slipping off before your cheese is ready to, be shipped out into the world. And so that kind of interplay can have a lot of different, a lot of different uh, components to it, but it's a, as you deep dive and kind of think about, you know, how that's happening, we're actually looking at those different types of geotrichum that we're using and seeing if we can make any identifications as to whether like what's causing 
around to do this versus to do that. And once you start getting on that level, your sort of thing is like, is this crazy? Like, are we really just talking about two different yeasts? Like, it's just a yeast, get, get over it. And yeah. it's actually really important. And it does make a big difference. And you can really like approach it from a, a like many different angles. But at the end of the day, you're still like diving deep to learn more about, you know, how your how all the pieces work in your in your puzzle. And if you're if you do a good job, it, you have a delicious cheese. Um, and that's that's the hard that's the hard uh, hard bar to uh, keep meeting every time is, you know, you can make a delicious cheese one time, but do it every day for a year, 10 years a millennium like no it's so hard i, I can't believe crazy. yeah i can't believe how well jasper hill does it um it's it's really um it has been setting the bar for how many years now 20 years i think i saw there was like a 20th this, anniversary this year is our our 20th year um wow. on the planet here as a jasper <laughs> hill farm um and it's kind of crazy. I was actually uh, lucky enough to go on a CMI trip on the 15 year anniversary. And oh. it was kind of unreal to me because the same sort of, I, I, you know, you get to, you get to be part of that community for just a day and mm -hmm. you know, you're at, you're at this, you know, it's a camp party with the, you know, bonfires and food and cheese galore. And I thought I was like, you know, in a slice of heaven for just a, an evening. And the thing that really got to me and got me even just the wheels turning of like, what if I came out here was, was hearing sort of like the community aspect and hearing everyone speak at that event um, to really understand the sort of journey that's happened and where it could have, could go. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like really lucky to be sort of part of that continuation of the journey. Um, and when you, when you say like 20 years, you're like, wow, that's a long time. It's like, in the, in the world of cheese, we're still babies new, you know, new into the industry, yeah. but we have made a lot of strive, uh, strides to, uh, really like to sort of continue the work of, you know, the folks who just started the, you know, the American artisan cheese industry in the very, you know, forefront here, but also it really, sh it really shows and highlights how important community is to cheese and, how I guess we've gotten to this place um, through the work of like a lot of people, both in at Jasper Hill and around the world. And so it does, it, it's sort of like an honor to make it to this point and still be true to like the, the missions that we have. And, you know, running a business is running a business. It's hard. It's really not easy, but we're, I feel like it's where we have a pretty lucky situation where we have a lot of dynamic areas, uh, you know, from all the way from cropping to, to sales that um, has their own unique uh, uniqueness to it, to our, to the sort of community here and nothing really works unless everyone's working together. And so I think like this year, this, this year is going to be a really good revisiting of sort of like who we are because, you know, nothing was normal for a while now and right, right. we're kind of ready to to see like you know where we can go from here um now that we can kind of take stock and sort of have a really it's really important to have those checkpoints and sort of reflexive capabilities of being like where do we go from here mm -hmm. um because you know 2003 looked quite a bit different than you know where we are right now with the humongous seller system involved and millions of pounds of cheese just rolling through this uh whole 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 chain 
um, just to get to you guys and hopefully make your day a little bit brighter. Yeah. Well, I have one more fun question for you. That's uh, it is yeah, really incredible what's been achieved. Um, I wanted to ask um, in the newest music video called yeah. Everybody Rock Your Harby, a la the Backstreet Boys. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if I saw you in there. Are you in the music video uh, that just premiered on Instagram from uh, yeah. the Gasparo Farm? <laughs> I, I am uh, as a very small cameo. Um, I that you can see me creepily uh, looking through the door of Vault One um, ah. as folks were dancing. I actually didn't know I was being filmed in that moment. I was just looking in there to see what was going on and being creepy. Um, <laughs> but um, I got I I've been all I was all over the place during that week when they were filming, and I sort of went under the radar, which was okay for me. Um, yeah, I, I uh, the video was incredible, and I think. I was I was glad to see so many people participating all across the like uh, what we do, but also um, mongers across the country, sort of pitching in, pitching in, and sort of completing that chain, um, if you will. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it has it over was, a thousand likes already. Um, that's oh, what that's what I threw me already. I was like, oh my god, this is such a fun, cool parody of this song. And then I was like, wait a second. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> Being a creep it's, in the video. <laughs> in the video, yep. And we've done a couple. Like I think we uh last year's was um if I remember it was maybe a Willy Wonka theme of some sort. And I like gluttonously dive into a special wash harbison and um just, you know, start eating it like a maniac. And of course. Yeah. That that to me I feel like is like, all right, that was my debut. And I don't know if I can uh, do anything else i think i peaked in that performance that so, that that's um, the apex of your music video trend um i'm glad exactly. to hear that um actually i do have one more question because yeah, yeah. vermont has such an amazing beer scene and i was curious if you had like a favorite beer pairing to a certain yeah. jasper cheese uh just because i love talking about pairings on the show and i figure you might know a good one so yeah um that was one of my uh you know shout out to old uh, mission cheese that's that was one of my favorite aspects of uh doing events and working there as like a cheese specialist is uh we have under our belt as like a mission cheese family we have a lot of beer and cheese pairings and i feel like i you know you make it to mecca over here with all of others you know breweries and producers here that are crazy um mm-hmm. making a lot of you know even inventing styles now that have gone coast to coast and i think honestly there is there's one pairing that I really, really enjoy, and it's something that you really have to come up here to try. Um, and that is with a, a beer from Hill Farmstead, of course. It's a mm-hmm. taste of place. It's like as close as you can get to the farm and make beer, honestly. And it really kind of speaks to me. Um, and it's a seasonal offering that they really only offer in the winter months. Um, it's a smoked Baltic porter called Fear and Trembling. Um, and the reason I really love this beer in particular is that, uh, you know, I have a Slavic background. My mom's Polish and just sort of like anything like, you know, from the Baltic area is sort of, um, it feels like it's died in the wool with me. Um, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it's also a smoked beer that is balanced and the smoke is almost like just the idea that you would be like, ah, I kind of wish this was smoked. And you're like, oh, it kind of, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's bright as much as I want it. If you turned it up down, up or down, you'd be like, I don't know. It's not for me. Um, 
but it really has this like smooth, dark, uh, almost like licorice sweetness sort of thing. But then uh, really malt, like the malt character, nuttiness, um, savory, it all kind of almost even mushroom bouillon kind of revolves around this beer. And if you have it with a piece of Bailey Haze and Bloom, mm-hmm. you're, you're on a journey that just kind of continues and you're, it, it's like the biggest, the best description of what Flavortown would be, honestly. And so for me, it's, it really plays off the like dark, nutty, smoky, earthy, um, maps onto the like salty, umami, rich, sometimes herbal, sometimes more like sweet, savory, uh, characteristic of Bailey. And to me, like dark beers with blue cheese, kind of, it's kind of almost too easy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my all-time favorite pairings is just like chocolate and blue cheese. And so for me, this kind of gets you at a, like a higher order of uh, sort of this like dark beer pairing. Uh, but that's honestly, if I have, yeah, if I have to say one of my favorite pairings, that's the one right now. But it's, uh, I, I am definitely known to uh, change my mind and also <laughs> have many favorites. So, um, no, that was, that was perfect, though. I mean, yeah. listen, you're a cheese rock star, sensory expert. I, <laughs> I want to thank you, Alex, for coming on the show today. This was um, really great to hear. And I feel like I just got like, an awesome insider session about Jasper Hill and what's happening. Um, so this is, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was, uh, it was wonderful. Totally. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell the fans out there, the listeners out there, you can please follow Alex on Instagram at white and Curdy, and you can follow yep. Jasper Hill at Jasper Hill farm. Plus you can follow us at cutting the curd and myself at Kara Warren. And please listen, subscribe to cutting the curd via Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks and eat more cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.